Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, September 10th. View your problems dispassionately, as if from a mountain peak. Perspective is lost in the valley of personal involvement. How tiny life's problems are compared to your spiritual reality. If you allow them to loom large, they may overwhelm you. But if you view them dispassionately, you will see them merely as little specks on the vast panorama of life. He uses that word dispassionately twice in here, which is a very interesting word. We'll go back to it in just a moment. I remember visiting Swami in Europe at some point, and when I first arrived, I hadn't seen him in a period of time, and I had heard that he'd had a number of health challenges, which he was inclined to have uh, all through his life, but especially in the last decade. I said, Swamiji, how are you feeling? Oh, he said, compared to an eternity of bliss, just fine which is actually not very well, but compared to an eternity of bliss, I feel just fine. Uh, Master said once that um, he remembered his own individual individuality. The word in Sanskrit for it is jiva, the unique bubble of the ocean that is every individual, every individual expression of consciousness is, is, um, is unique in all creation, And even after the bubble merges back into the ocean, the bubble still exists as a separate entity. And that is the jiva. So coming through all of the incarnations of the plants and, I mean, of the animal world, and then finally into a human body, through all the human bodies, the the individuality that that ties them all together, that comes from delusion to God-realization is called the jiva. In English, we could use the word soul. But soul is not as clear because soul also means the part of us that is infinite and individual. It's just not as exact. Jiva is the individuality. So there is a point at which the jiva becomes self-aware. And when we're in the human body is when it becomes supremely self-aware because of the nature of the human body. The nervous system of the human being is capable of perceiving infinity which is the answer to the the scientific mystery of why we have so much more brain power than the average person uses. I've actually been told I think the average person uses about 10% of the capability of the brain because this nervous system is designed to perceive a reality beyond the senses, beyond the material world. That's why an avatar can come into a human body or a human being can realize God because this nervous system allows it. And the, the nervous system of other creatures, I'm going to say, is not capable, although there are exceptions to this. Um, Lahiri Mahashaya was said, and I quote, to be working on a system for liberating, spiritually liberating animals directly without having to go through the human level. I have no idea what that means. And in the life of Ramana Maharshi, there were two animals. One was a cow, and the other was a crow or a raven, some kind of a bird. And in both cases, the Master said that they were liberated. Now, 
that was a very interesting story because, um, I mean, just like, was it, was the, I had wondered, you know, was it like Lahiri Mahashaya where the cow itself was liberated? But when I actually learned more about the story of Ramana Maharshi's cow, was that it was believed to be, and it was sort of the accepted truth, that there had been a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, who had been this woman who lived on the hill where he lived, who took care of him in his first years of sadhana. Then she died. And the belief was that she had reincarnated as that cow, because that cow had privileges with the guru, which no human being had. Is that most human beings, there was certain a certain deference, a certain protocol, but because that cow, that cow would just march into the ashram anytime it wanted to. It would go right up to where Ramana Maharshi was, would sit down next to him, and he would he would put his hand on the cow. And the cow could just do whatever it wanted, be with the guru whenever it wanted. I'm, I mean, I'm way off what, what this is supposed to be about. But it also made sense to my mind out of, um, out of that story of the cow being liberated, which is that it was a deliberate choice on the part of a former disciple, in a way, as a way to be close to the Guru. Anandamoy Ma was giving darshan. Anandamoy Ma was the joy-permeated mother. She was a great saint of India. She lived, she died in the early 1980s. Swami Kriyananda knew her well. And there was a satsang she was giving, and there was a big fly, and the fly kept landing on her face. People kept trying to brush it away. Finally, she said, leave it. It's a saint who wants to be close to this body. Ananda Muima never said I. She referred to her, her whole self in the third person. She lived in it, but she didn't identify with it. It's a saint that wants to be close to this body. So it incarnated as a fly, so it could sit on Ma's head, you know, and just be with her, because nobody else got to sit on Ma's head and be with her. And he, she, she saw what it was. I mean, these are weird stories. There's lots of weird stories, especially when you start going with Tibetan yogis. They're very weird stories. So the reason that I was telling all this, it's a, it's a weird story too, is that Master said he remembered all the way back to being a diamond. So that also answers the question as to when does individuality rise to the level of self-awareness? Master said he could remember back to being a diamond, which is to say a crystal, a gemstone, where consciousness begins. Swami once described crystals, gemstones being the transition point between conscious and unconscious. The consciousness begins. He, he went to a, a display in Paris of, of giant crystals, you know, crystals that were big as furniture. And he said, going through that display, he said he felt that he was tangibly in the presence of a, of a self-aware consciousness, but just very, very different than human. But they were not inanimate. They were, they were animate, they were sentient just that they had a, a different kind of vibration. So Master says he remembers being all the way back to being a diamond, which means he, he came through all of the stages of development from, I mean, I'm wearing gemstones from the yellow sapphire I'm wearing or the emerald I'm wearing. Everything it takes to get from being an emerald and all the experience that would be required, all the incarnations, to become a self-realized master. Well, someone asked me a question which I thought was very interesting, which is, uh, how long does it take to get from being a diamond to being a self-realized master? And I had the opportunity to ask Swami that question. 
So I did. And he responded that he thought it was a rather silly question. Silly question because what are you going to do with that information? That's why it was silly. I defended it, saying I thought it was fascinating and I was immensely curious. By that point in my life with Swami, I, I was comfortable being myself and I didn't repudiate my own point of view just because he questioned it. And so Swami sort of shrugged his shoulders and said he didn't have any idea. And often when Swami relinquishes, you know, just accepts that he doesn't know something, he says this often happens to him. Immediately the answer comes. So he said, I don't have any idea. And it's a silly question anyway. And then a moment later he said, all time is short compared to eternity. Now that's a real answer, isn't it? Because infinite, infinite and finite, there's an infinity of difference between infinite and finite. No matter how long finite is, it's short by comparison because it has an end point. Infinity has no end point. There's just no way you can put them together. So he was answering also the silliness of the question, which is, what are you going to do with an answer? A hundred bazillion incarnations? Oh, that's interesting. You know, like, what does that mean? In any, you know, when you get up in the morning, you have to do your kriyas. Like, how is that going to help you? But all time is short compared to infinity. Oh my, that really does put things in perspective. And that's Swami's answer. No, my body's very unwell. But the end point of this body and all bodies is an eternity of bliss. So what difference does it make? So this is where Swami's talking about feel your problems dispassionately. I mean, people make a great point of living passionately. What are your passions? What are you passionate about? And, and that way of thinking has its place. We, we want to be committed. We want to be enthusiastic. We want to be ambitious for excellence for its own sake, for the development, for the self-development that comes to us when we don't settle for just doing something well enough, but keep at it until we've done the very best that we can do. Passion is very positive in that sense. But to be passionate about our problems is a misunderstanding. Dispassionate means that we can just step back a little bit, that we're not driven by um, emotions that demand satisfaction when even the effort to satisfy them just causes us to be caught more in the maelstrom. I've, I've used the image multiple times because it's a very effective image. It's whether we live in the tumultuous surface of the ocean where the waves are always going up and down or whether we sink a little bit and see the whole ocean and just see that that's just happening on the surface. To be passionate about the surface waves just keeps us in this endless because no matter how much the waves go up and down, the level of the ocean remains the same. If it goes up here, it goes down there. If it goes up here, it goes down here. There's just so much water in the ocean, so to speak. or just it, it's, it's an entity like this. It just moves on the top. It never changes. And way down deep, that surface isn't even happening. So when we find ourselves caught in serious difficulties, stand back a little bit, view it from a, a longer perspective and a greater distance. I read a book that was written by a journalist who was kidnapped in the Mideast. And it was at the time, it may still be going on, at the time when the, all these different forces were playing against each other. And it was a, a sort of a, a strictly a mercenary action on the part of someone. They wanted leverage in some way, so he, he and a, a 
a colleague or two, were kidnapped. He was held, not in, not in appalling conditions, but still in very unfortunate circumstances, for five years. A long time. And, you know, all the while there was some kind of, sometimes there was negotiation going, and eventually after five years he was released. But one of the ways he maintained his sanity and his focus during it is at the end of every day, because he was a writer, at the end of every day he wrote the chapter. Not actually because he couldn't, but in his mind. And so at the, at the end of every day, he was in the future when this was in the past, and it was just a very good story. And he, in fact, did exactly that. Eventually, which was a very long time when he was released, eventually he wrote a very good book about his experiences. But I've always remembered that. Isn't that interesting? If you just write this as a chapter in a book. And that's just taking the passion out of it in the sense that you step back from it and you realize this is happening now, this is happening to me, but at a certain point it'll just be a story. And I don't have to identify so deeply with it that I can't see any other perspective. Heavens, if you think about the numbers of incarnations we've had. A friend of mine, just before she died, she was lying on, it, on the bed on which she left her body. And she said to a friend, she was very, she was very, very calm and very um, impersonal in the moment. She said, and I don't know whether she said hundreds or thousands, but it was at least hundreds, and I think she said thousands. She says she, says she was just lying there, and she just kept seeing these faces. Not faces that she knew, not people that she knew now, but she realized that every face that she was seeing had been her face in one, one lifetime or another. It had been her face. So she said it was very hard for her, her to feel very worried about the one that she had on right now because it was just going to join that enormous parade of faces that had been hers. So, yeah, she was dying. And dying, she was young, and she was leaving behind things that would have been nice to have continued with. But dispassionately, this is just one of hundreds of faces I've had. There's no need for me to cling to it. And she died very nobly and very free. So that's what Swami's talking about. He says... View your problems dispassionately, as if from a mountain peak. Perspective is lost in the valley of personal involvement. How tiny life's problems are compared to your spiritual reality. If you allow them to loom large, they may overwhelm you. But if you view them dispassionately, you will see them merely as little specks on the vast panorama of life. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.